Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to experience a grace that heals. Allow this grace to take your life and your relationships to another level as it frees you from the weight of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode as Joel Groh and Lynn Wilder share encouraging stories and candid dialogue that can help you experience a grace that heals. Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Lynn Wilder. And I'm Joel Grote, and this week is part two with Dr. Stephen Crane. He's a pastor, but he's also someone who's done a lot of research and study in the area of biblical reliability, uh, the manuscript evidence, the different ways that we know what we have in our modern versions of the Bible is trustworthy, it's true, and it's a reliable reflection of the original manuscripts. So we're so excited. Um, Dr. Stephen, Crane. Dr. Crane. He's <laughs> at Eagle Christian Church in Eagle, Idaho. And I actually learned a lot from him about Bible reliability. Um, so we're thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much. And you just take it because you know your stuff. Well, it's great to be with you. And, and for all of us, you know, the question is, we, we believe the Bible to be the word of God, but is that faith in the Bible as scripture, is the faith in the Bible as authoritative, is that well-founded? And so yes. a lot of times mm-hmm. we'll get the, the question, well, you don't have the original manuscripts or what we call the autographed copies. And so how can you know that the copies of what we have today are the same as, uh, you know, what were originally written thousands of years ago? Or when you're talking with a LDS uh person. Um, they've been taught that many plain and precious truths have been removed and maybe not even one passage of scripture hasn't gone either intentionally or unintentionally through a process of being changed throughout the years. And so the ability to defend the Bible as the word of God. And since we don't have the originals, how good are our copies and um, can we trust what we have? And so that's a topic that I love talking about. And I want to say just as we uh, begin, there's more evidence for the Bible than any work of ancient literature. And the truth of the matter is there's more evidence for the reliability of scripture than any of the 10 or 12 most copied works of ancient literature. And so I want to give you just a couple of examples of that. There are a few people that question um, uh, people like Aristotle or Caesar or Tacitus or Pliny. And we've got, we've got books that are recorded by them or Herodotus. And so the, the, the history of Herodotus, it comes down to us through eight copies. We've got eight copies of scripture that are about 1300 years removed from when he wrote and nobody would question that work or when it comes to Aristotle and, and his writings, we have five copies of Aristotle's writings, not autograph copies, but copies of copies of what Aristotle wrote. Mm -hmm. Or when it comes to Tacitus, we've got 20 copies or Pliny, we've got seven copies. And so you add up all the works of ancient literature and the 10 most copied, and you can come to about 700 manuscripts and actually that's pretty good evidence uh, for those 10 most copied works of ancient literature. Although 1300 years later is not, <laughs> not Correct. Real original. So to, to get some of those dates, and, and let me just kind of run down those, those through there. So I, I hope I threw out some names that maybe you're familiar with, but Herodotus, who wrote a history, um, he wrote about 480 BC. The earliest copy of what we have of his writings comes from 900 AD, mm. which is a span over 1300 years. Or even, even Caesar, the Gallic Wars, he wrote about 100 BC. And the earliest copy we have comes from 850 AD, um, which 
is 750 years later. And so a vast time difference between uh, when the author first wrote and the earliest surviving manuscript. And so um, so, Dr. Crane, I'm going to yes. pause right here real quick, because I know there's probably people listening are going, wait, 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 wait. This is like lots of details. So do you have a document, something that we can link to that would be easy? So just to provide people a thumbnail so they don't have to either keep pausing the podcast or if they're listening in their car, um, they can just say, oh, OK, I'll wait. I'll go to the show notes. Um, we can provide a document link. Do you have something like that that we can provide? Uh, absolutely. That? OK, and so, cool. Um, we can put it in the, the footnotes, but one of the best places to go is probably Josh McDowell and Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And that's been, uh, it's been written and then rewritten and updated. And uh, the truth of the matter is even the evidence he gives there, uh, it needs to be expanded well, way beyond that. Because even since it's been redone, we have more evidence uh, that has, has uh, been unveiled and uncovered, which is the this great thing about- This keeps rolling in. Yeah. Right. And so, so anyways- Just want to say that. So, so for our listener, as you're listening to this, wherever you are, just know- um, all the stuff that Dr. Crane is going to share, we will provide links and access to documentation and resources where you can verify this or just have it to share with somebody else. So you can just kind of sit back and enjoy the podcast and know all that will be available on the podcast website. Yeah. So anyway, when we take those, uh, those most recorded works of ancient history and you add them all together, um, you know, some pretty good evidence there, but it pales by comparison to what we find when it comes to the Bible as the word of God. And so um, when it comes to just ancient Greek manuscripts, uh, we have about 5,300 known Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. Now that's just Greek manuscripts um, dating really within about 300 or 400 years of uh, when the Bible itself was written. But you, you take those manuscripts and you think, okay, 500 and over 5,000, but then we start adding in um, other manuscripts as well. And so for example, we don't just have Greek manuscripts, but very early on, the Bible was translated into other languages. It was a missionary endeavor. And so we've got about 10,000 copies of the Bible in Latin. We've got about 9,000 other uh, early languages that was written in. And you take all the very early manuscript copies of the Bible, and it's pretty easy to come up with over 24,000 ancient manuscripts. And so just when it comes to manuscript evidence, it's overwhelming. And so uh, the, the advantage of this is if we only had one manuscript and we compared that one manuscript to what we have today, you could say, well, okay, um, that's not very convincing. Just like if you have one witness to a car accident, well, that person might be mistaken. Uh, maybe they, they missed some of the details or they didn't see, they didn't see, get the whole picture. And so they, they don't have an accurate perspective. But when you take multiple witnesses and then you start saying, okay, five and 10 and 50 and 500, and then 24,000 different witnesses, it becomes overwhelming evidence for the accuracy of scripture. And what we found is that as you go back and you compare those manuscripts and what, uh, when they're written and what they say, compare that to modern translations of our Bible, we're gonna realize that the evidence is just overwhelming mm -hmm. um, for the accuracy of scripture. If people wanna have that dialogue of um, many plain and precious truths have been removed from scripture, that's a, that's a conversation I love love having. In fact, some of the, some of the manuscript evidence is just, uh, remarkable. Let me just, if I can, uh, just throw some of these out <laughs> sure, absolutely. for you. So, so we talked about some of these uh, ancient uh, works of literature, a 1300 year gap between when they were first written and the first available manuscript we have. Well, when it comes to our Bibles, um, it's interesting that we have things like the uh, Codex Sinaiticus, which uh, 
dates to about 350. And so it's within 300 years of when the Bible was written. A complete, what we'd say, a complete Bible, a complete copy of scripture within 300 years. Or the, the Codex uh, 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 Vaticanus is about 275 years removed from what was written. And so whole copies of the Bible, but it gets really impressive when you start talking about individual Bible books. And so as an evangelical, we consider 66 books of the Bible, 27 books of the New Testament. It's amazing to see some of the manuscript evidence in regards to those. For example, we have what's called the Magdalene Manuscript, which is a portion of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, which uh, dates back to 50 to 60 AD. Now realize the book of Matthew, well, Jesus lived 30 AD. And this manuscript is being written during the time of the very people who were still alive. We've got a copy of that. We've got the John Ryland's text, which is a, uh, a portion of the book of John, which dates um, to, to 130 AD. And you need to realize that a lot of people date John's writings at 85 to 95 AD. And we realize there's only a 30 year gap between when John wrote and manuscript evidence we have. And we just go down through the list of the Chester Beatty papyri or the bottom or two text or um, these, uh, the Codex Alexandria. And we realize we've got copy after copy after copy dating within just a few years of when they were written and complete copies of the New Testament um, within 300 years. And so uh, not enough time to make dramatic changes uh, to what we have in scripture and compare those texts to what we have today. And you'll realize that uh, the, the text we have in our hands was the text that was originally written for us. And it's just, it's remarkable when you talk about um, Bible manuscript evidence. Now, Which you were is saying... a good question for Mormons, right? Do you have manuscript evidence for the Book of Mormon, right? If this is the most correct book on earth. And, and I love to say, they always use Ezekiel 37 to say that the Bible and the Book of Mormon are two sticks in one hand, which that's not what that scripture is about. But when they say that, I'll say, so we've got these 25,000 manuscripts, right? Um, how many original manuscripts do you have, or even from the time period you have for the Book of Mormon? And then the question is, why would God make one overwhelming as if he's trying to show you something and get you to come find him, and the other have none? How could that be two sticks in, in one hand? And just let those questions kind of, you know, be there. <laughs> of these 20 plus thousand manuscripts, most of those can be found in, in one of seven places. And so the remarkable thing is you can go and you can see these things for yourself. And so if you go to the Louvre in Paris, or if you go to the British uh, Library in London, or you go to the Vatican in Rome, or go to the Smithsonian, even here in the United States, or St. Catharines, or uh, Athos, Egypt, or Cairo, Egypt, you can go and view these manuscripts. And I've had the ability to see many of these. In fact, a majority of these texts myself. And what's remarkable is many of these, they're as clear as if they'd been written today. They're remarkably preserved. And that's just the hand of God, you know, in terms of manuscripts that were written thousands of years ago, that can go and can be seen today. And so I, I like your point. So my, my first argument is biblical manuscripts are remarkable. But more than that, the, uh, the, the time or the lack of time between the first copy when it was written and the copies we do have, it's just amazing. It's overwhelming evidence. But it's not my only argument for scripture. So I'm yeah. gonna throw a little wrench here because okay. both Mormons and atheists always give me this question. Okay, so all those manuscripts are out there, but 
how does that give it any authority? How do you know that came from God? Those are just a bunch of people that wrote down a bunch of stuff. So they all tell me, well, at the Council of Nicaea, you know, man got together and they decided what was in the Bible. And then they made up the Trinity there in 325. Okay, so first, first, let me address the, uh, the Nicaea uh, 325 Council. Most of the mm-hmm. manuscripts I've just uh, talked about with you predate the Nicene Council. And so that argument itself goes out the window. Um, when I get a little bit later on our broadcast, I do also want to talk about other ways we know the Bible to be true. But um, let me just put the, the other question this way. You say, well, how do we know it's true? In every area where the Bible can be tested, it can be trusted. And so if it makes claims about how far a certain city is from each other or the types of uh, coins that were available or the people who reigned in every area where we can go back and historically test it, it can be trusted. So it doesn't take much faith to say if in every, every area where it can be tested, it can be trusted. It doesn't take much faith to say I can trust it in areas that can't be tested as well. And so the beginning of time or who God is, the nature of God, those type of things. And so if it's reliable in all those areas where we can test it, it's not a big jump to say it's reliable also in the areas it can't be tested as well. Mm. So but great, great question. Love that. Um, I, I do want to talk about other evidence, though, in terms of how do we know the Bible to be true. And so not just the manuscript evidence for it. Certainly the manuscript evidence is overwhelming. But even more than that, we also can talk about translations of the Bible and the versions of the, of the translations. And so I'm not just talking about the language in which it was originally written. For example, most of the New Testament was written in Greek. Mm-hmm. We can also go and realize that um, the copies that we have of Scripture aren't just in Greek. They were translations because it was in a missionary endeavor. And so very, very early on, almost immediately, the Bible is also translated into Latin. It was translated into Syriac, which is Christian Aramaic. And we've got copies of the Bible early, early on of those languages as well. So not only can we go to the original language of the Bible, we can also go to early translations and we can say, okay, well, how do they compare? And so it'd be one thing to say, well, they changed an early Greek manuscript, but they go also and change all the translations of the Bible as well. Do you understand my argument? Uh-huh. So, you know, yes. So yeah. Very, very early on. And so we get, uh, we get the Bible because it's a missionary faith translated into Coptic and Armenian and Gothic and uh, Ethiop- uh, Ethiopian dialects and the Nubian dialect. And those happen all very early on within the, the second and the third centuries, some of the fourth centuries and fifth centuries, but many of those also before the Nicene creed takes mm. place and so you're saying they not only went back and changed all those thousands of manuscripts in greek but they also went back and changed all the translations of those that happened very early on in the church and so again a very powerful argument about uh about the reliability of scripture but i've got more if you want it yeah well oh. i was just going to say and and the thing to remember is we're not talking modern time day and age where because of the internet and digitizing you would have access. I mean, these are in different continents, in different countries, in different languages. And even if someone were to set out to say, change a particular verse or change a particular passage, the odds of them being able to gain access to all those would be nearly impossible. They're, they're spread out, they're scattered, and you didn't have a way to even get to them to make the changes. Yeah, I would argue so, that we're nearly, it wouldn't, it's not nearly impossible. It's, it's impossible. impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> yeah, you could, there's no way that all these thousands of manuscripts in different hands and different people in different regions and even different languages have been changed 
um, you know, significantly. And, and so that uh, you couldn't go back and verify that. Um, we also have what's called lectionaries and lectionaries are the practice of reading scripture in a religious worship service. And many of those are written out and we've got, uh, well, very, very early on over 2000 lectionaries, which have been categorized from the period of the first and second century. And mm. you can go back and read church services which are quoting scripture and you can co uh, compare, mm. okay, it quotes it this way. What does the text say and do that? And most people haven't realized that, that, that uh, all these lectionaries giving orders of church service that quote scripture and it's amazing. And so if there had been a forgery or if there'd been a change or there'd been something significant to take place, well, not only do we have to change all those manuscripts and the translations of those manuscripts, but then we have to go back and change all the lectionaries as well. Which wow. takes me to one more step that I, I want to talk about, and that's our early church fathers. And so, so do you have like a number for these lectionaries? Like, what what kind of quantity are we talking here? Well, we've got two thousand one hundred thirty-five. If you want me to be specific, <laughs> that's specific. Okay, yeah, so we're specific. not just talking five or six. We're talking two thousand recorded documents that are quoting scripture. Yeah, yeah, which which mm -hmm. come from the first and second century. And so, but I've got to take it even one step further. And again, most okay. people haven't considered this, but the early church fathers, they also, so early church leaders, they write about scripture. And so I think one of the greatest adaptations for the authority of the New Testament are the massive amount of quotations that we find in early church father fathers as they write letters to churches. And so we can go and go back to the early church fathers. And if you want to talk about early church fathers, uh, Tertullian and Clement and Polycarp and Irenaeus and, and other people, we can go back and- Again, as a Mormon, I wouldn't have known what you're talking about. So you might have all, to specify. All good. <laughs> yeah. So just, you can go back and Google those, the, those names. And so uh, Clement of Alexandria and Ignatius and Polycarp, I think mo most people have, have maybe heard of, of Polycarp, but you can go Some back and- Church leaders, yeah. Church leaders, early church early. leaders. Mm -hmm. but you can take the letters, which we have saved for us and in those letters, they're, they're categorized now 32,000 quotations of the New Testament. 32,000. Now, here's the amazing thing I want to get to. Of those 32,000 quotations in the New Testament, all but 11 verses of our New Testament are recorded in the early church fathers. Mm. And so here's what I just said. Even if we didn't have uh, <laughs> Greek manuscripts, even if we didn't have translations into other languages besides Greek, even if we didn't have the lectionaries, recorded church worship services from the early first and second century, we could go back and we could recapture all but 11 verses of our New Testament simply through the letters that the early church fathers wrote to their congregations. Wow. And there's no other piece of literature that has that amount of evidence. Oh, not even close. Not, yeah, not, not even, even close. close. Yeah. Do you think God's trying to do something here? <laughs> yeah. And, and so uh, in no uncertain ways, God is saying that uh, his word is unchangeable, that it remains the same, but not even a jot or tittle, the Bible says, will, be, will, will pass away from the word of God. And so we can go back and realize this massive evidence. And so when somebody tells me many plain and precious truths have been removed from scripture, that's a di dialogue I want to have. And I want to say, well, have you considered this? Have you considered this? And uh, just in a very mm -hmm. brief uh, time, you can go back and realize that what we have for us, it was originally written for us uh, by these by these authors. And right. so it's just remarkable. And I think the other thing when historically that might help not just LDS people, but anybody who's doubting this reliability of the Bible 
it's to know because this was um, this was a surprise to me when I found it out that during the time period of Joseph Smith, where because he's the one who says, you know, he's the one who's translating the Book of Mormon, so he's the one who's saying and he's affirming that these many plain and precious truths that and Joseph even said scribes and corrupt priests and translators have intentionally made these changes and lost these things. When he made those um, affirmations in the you know 1830s, 1840s. He was not alone in thinking that. There were a number of people who were raising questions about the reliability and the authority of scripture. And this is well before we have many of these manuscript discoveries. And so, so people had, there were a group of people who had this kind of built-in doubt about scripture and they were sharing this and spreading this, even though there was no evidence for it. And since that time period, the evidence for the reliability of scripture has just exploded. And so just to kind of put those claims into a historical context and to know how far we've come in terms of what we've found and everything we've found contradicts totally these early affirmations in the 1700s and 1800s about how the Bible had been corrupted. In fact, it's been well corroborated and established and affirmed um, and supported way beyond our wildest dreams really. And the evidence just keeps rolling in. Yes. Correct. And so, I mean, even uh, before my lifetime, but even in the 40s, uh, uh, Dead Sea Scrolls and things like that. But in my lifetime, many of the the, uh, manuscripts I've mentioned already in terms of the Codex Sinaiticus and the Chester Beatty papyrus and the John Ryland's text, all those kind of things. Um, those are recent discoveries. And the amazing thing is just within the last few years, there have been other discoveries like the, the Magdalene Matthew uh, text that I uh, uh, mentioned earlier. Th- those have only been in the last few years. And so yeah. um, the, the evidence just keeps building up. So uh, Mormons believe, right, that the, you, the Holy Spirit tells you when something's true through feelings. But what you're telling me is you can use your reasoning brain in faith. There's actually science and there's evidence, correct, that connects with the Bible that may not connect with Mormon sources. Correct. Um, there, there is an element of faith, uh, but faith is not blind faith. We can examine the evidence and we can go where the evidence leads us, um, but um, we don't have to check our brains in at the door um, you know, to, to become a Christian. Actually, it's just the opposite. That uh, I've got a friend that owns a car dealer that says, don't buy a car before checking under the hood. I'm suggesting as Christians, let's check under the hood. Let's make sure that uh, the Bible is reliable and that it can be trusted. And uh, when you do that, you're going to realize um, the Bible is a remarkable book and we need to take it for what it is. It is the very word of God. Mm. What else would you point to? Or recap. Yeah. Yeah. Now in, in terms of, uh, so it's one thing to say, um, what we have recorded for us is what the original authors wrote. And I think that's a, that's a process that's very verifiable. We can go back and of those, all those many manuscripts, people will say, well, there are some variations. Yeah, there are. There are about 200,000 variants uh, in all those copies of scripture that we have. And that might seem like a big number until you realize that uh, 25,000 copies of manuscripts, 200,000 variants, what is that? About uh, eight uh, per, right? And so a very small number. And most of those, what we call variants, those aren't errors. Most of those variants might be differences in spelling. For example, do you spell Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N, or do you spell S-T-E-P-H-E-N, or do you spell color, C-O-L-O-U-R, like the British, or do you spell it the American way, C-O-L-O-R? Most all of those manuscripts, uh, those variances in manuscripts 
are those type of changes. And so the truth of the matter is there, there are very little that we can bring into question uh, when it, in regards to the Bible um, and change that have been made. Yeah, and so nothing that changes remarkable. the meaning or the doctrine. No, we can go to the end of Mark, for example, and there's some questions about the ending of Mark. You can go to, to the Gospel of John and read the story about the woman caught in adultery. And there are a few, uh, a couple of scriptures there that can be brought into question, but there's no theological or doctrinal issue that changes whether or not we have those verses or not. There's good explanations for why those happen, but you can't, can't really call into uh, question any doctrinal um, issue when it, in regards to our New Testament. Uh, the point I want to get across is that the, the Bible is what it purports to be. It is the very word of God. It's his instruction manual for us uh, and how to live. And when we're having conversations with Christians or with LDS, we can come back and we can confidently say, we know that what we have in our Bibles is what is originally written. And we need to base our faith on what the Bible says, and not something else. Hmm. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing this information with us. And again, we will have links and documents and things where you can continue to pursue this in the show notes. And we would just encourage you that as you go to the Bible, you go to it as a living, breathing document um, that God himself has breathed out as a love letter to you. It's God's way of saying, know me find me, see me for who I am. I've made it plain. I want a relationship with you. And the basis for our relationship is going to be this objective truth that I have caused to be written. And now I've preserved these thousands of years later so you can truly know me and find out who I am and what it means to have a relationship with me. It was the Word of God that changed my life. It was the Word of God that brought me to faith in Christ and brought me face down one night in complete surrender. Um, just open it and read it and see what the Holy Spirit does in your life, I implore you. Amen. Amen. Well, Dr. Crane, thank you for being with us. Lynn. Until next time, friends. Grace, Grace and peace. And peace. So long. Thank you for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. Join us next time for another conversation devoted to helping your life and relationships flourish. As always, you can find show notes, program transcripts, and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We greatly appreciate your support for the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals. Mm-hmm.